Welcome to Home Office on the Huddle Podcast Network. I'm Mark Legere. As my wife Janet would tell you, I struggle to understand the investment portfolio that will help us retire one day. But I want to understand it better, and I try to pay close attention in meetings with our advisors. When St. John entrepreneur Lori Weir was formulating the idea for her new company, Four Eyes Financial, she had people like me in mind. Interested investors that needed an easier way to connect with the people that were managing their money and understand better the investments being made on their behalf. In the market research phase, Weir discovered it was wealth management firms themselves that most valued the digital platform her company created, though investors like me reap the benefits too. Her St. John-based company now employs more than 30 people and has more than 3,000 advisors using its platform. Four Eyes Financial was recently awarded the Best Compliance as a Service Solution Award by the Canadian RegTech Association, and Lori was recognized as a five-star leading woman in wealth by Wealth Professional. Lori and I work just down the street from each other, me in my home office, and Lori in her office in a nearby commercial building. But we had to connect by video call recently because of the COVID-19 restrictions. It was probably for the best, given how cold it was. Here's our conversation. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing? Great. Yeah. It's really nice to see your face. It's really great. And I think we're, we're very close by, Lori. You're just down the street from me in Uptown St. John right now. That is exactly right. And so what's interesting, I'm glad to see your face and hear your voice. We're so close, but I don't think I've actually seen you in many years. <laughs> and in fact, our office looks out uh, over the Bay of Funday um, and I think right over your house. I think so. Like, I think you can, you can, from your, what floor are you on? You can probably see my roof. We're on the top floor. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, it's a really nice view. You probably have a similar view, nice view of the Harbor. And uh, yeah, we're right next to the St. John high school. And I think um, from our little chat before I turned on record here, I think we're experiencing, you know, different technical problems, but connected to the same issue. So I'm, I'm in my uh, home office closet radio (laughs) studio here. And I, I woke up this morning. I thought, Oh, I have a bit of a problem. It's, it's, I know it's 20 below. And I yeah. know I have to close the closet door. Yeah. And so I know it's going to be about 20 below in the closet then. <laughs> right. And so Flow I. Uh, airflow problem. <laughs> so I, you know, 20 minutes before our chat, I, I brought in the space heater into the closet and tried to heat up the room as best I can. But, uh, but I understand that you, uh, you had the opposite problem. You had to, you opened your window this morning when it was 20. Yeah. So we have gorgeous windows um, so that we can look out over the beautiful city uh, but it turns into um, a really a hotbed here in the office, even though it's minus 20 out. So yeah, I had the window open. Um, yeah, so I had the opposite problem. I had the door open to get some cool air in here. Well, but the- I've closed the window just for you, Mark. So <laughs> I definitely <laughs> don't want you freezing you can't there. See me. Yeah, <laughs> if I start sweating. <laughs> Well, but it's great to, to catch up, Lori. And I'd love I'd love to start our conversation. Obviously, I wanted to have you on the show today to talk mostly about uh, Four Eyes Financial, but I'd love to go way back and and talk about the early days of Lori as an entrepreneur. And I have a memory, Lori, around the first time I met you, you had a business on Prince William Street, and I all I have is this really strong memory of of a climbing wall uh, inside mm-hmm. this you know, cavernous St. John space 
with the exposed brick and the ceiling mm-hmm. must have been, you know, 20 feet in the air. It's just one of, one of these gorgeous old, old uh, 19th century St. John buildings. What, what business was that? That was a business called Peak Adventures. And I co-founded that business uh, with a gentleman by the name of Brent Finnamore. And uh, the space that you're talking about, we, uh, we opened up Peak Adventures in that space in 2002. And so there is a bit of a lead up to kind of how that business got, how I got into that business for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, um, that was an opportunity that we saw in the, in the St. John, greater St. John area, really in New Brunswick to create a unique meeting space, um, outside of your typical hotel room, uh, banquet room, meeting room, um, that enabled creative thinking just in the environment and the way that we kind of set the, the space up. So the space was designed specifically for the kinds of learning and training programs that we wanted to develop, which includes the climbing wall that you mentioned. I think the ceiling, I think it was closer to 30 feet. Um, but bef- so uh, there is some history kind of leading up to that. Um, the building was purchased by myself and Beth. Kelly Hatt, who you probably know as an entrepreneur in St. John, she started a business 30 years ago called Aquila, and they are in the cruise business. They provide international consulting, training, and coaching to the cruise industry, as well as um, St. John being their living lab. They welcome all of the cruise ships that come into St. John and provide them with unique experiences. So, um, yeah, so Beth and I bought that building and there was a bar in the space, an old bar called Callahan's, which still exists in some version today in St. John. And when we bought the building, we went into this bar, Mark, and I don't know if you were ever in that version of Callahan's, but it was, it looked like it hadn't been updated since maybe the late 50s. <laughs> early 60s um they had covered up all the windows of course they didn't want people to see the the light of day um you know and people just you know kind of there were a lot of bar flies around and you know it was really a place that people hung out and and had drinks during the day and the night and um it was um in need of extreme uh love and so i think you know we certainly had the vision. We knew that the space would enable what we wanted to create, but it was a major uh, labor of love to get that space to the place where you would have remembered it in terms of beautiful, you know, wind like 20 foot high windows, um, just a gorgeous space with new hardwood floor and exposing the brick. And we created, um, um, along the wall, which was like 25 feet space where people could do all kinds of creative writing on um, pads of paper and whiteboards and um, furniture that could be configured in any number of different ways for all kinds of different purposes on casters. So you could move everything around. Um, Yeah. And of course the, uh, the highlight being the climbing wall. Yeah. People always remember the climbing wall. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. yeah. And, and St. John's ideally suited to these kinds of indoor indoor uh, businesses because of the high ceilings. Because I know that uh, a, a company has created a, a climbing wall, an actual sort of a business around the climbing wall in an old uh, St. John church here. So, yeah, yes, I'm familiar with David yeah. Alston. With David Alston, yeah. yeah. He was actually been on the show. He was our first guest. Oh, very yeah. good. He and Marcel yeah. Lebrun. Um, and, and I know, Lori, um, definitely this that we'll pick up on this conversation. We talked about four eyes because I know that um, for you, obviously, the, it was a, there was a technical solution that you developed here, but it's all built around human connection uh, and, and collaboration and working together and communicating better. Um, uh, but before we dig into your to your business now, I'd love to get a, a sense of. So, was that your first experience as an entrepreneur? Your first business? When what what was your what is the earliest experience you remember of? You know, I'm meant to be an entrepreneur. I'm meant to create my own businesses and to do my own thing. Yeah. Um, so for me, Mark, I I kind of started out. I didn't come from an, an entrepreneurial family. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to be the catalyst for some kind of change in a significant way to uh, the way, you know, improving people's lives in some way. And so I actually studied political science um, and I thought, you know, politics or some way affecting policy was really where my head was at in, you know, in the days in which I was, uh, was doing my degree. And uh, my first job out of university was actually out of First Nation, working in economic development. And I think what I, well, what I experienced there was a really a micro version of government and understanding how long it takes to affect change and the challenges around doing that. And so I, it was at that point point that I said to myself, maybe the best way to affect change is to have a little bit more control over direction and decision and impact and decide where you want to have that impact. And so that was the genesis of, I think, the shift in, in the how, not so much the what, but the how. And um, yeah. And then from there, though, because I didn't have connections or uh, a network. Um, I didn't have experience in starting a business. And this was back in, you know, the mid nineties. So there really weren't any, you know, startup culture like we have today. I mean, incubators, accelerators, um, you know, entrepreneurial courses in all of various you know, learning institutions. And, and, uh, and so what we did back then, Mark, this is for your younger listeners. What we did back then is we went out looking for mentors <laughs> and, and that's exactly what I did. And I actually, um, discovered Beth, who is still a very important person in my life. Um, I didn't know her, but I came across her and she was leading, um, the, she chaired the Tourism Association of Hospitality St. John, I think it was called. And at that time, um, after leaving government, the First Nation work that I had done was around building um, uh, a hotel in near Mactaquac. And so there was a tourism component to that. And so I stayed in sort of that theme and went to the 
the uh, Hospitality St. John meeting, I saw Beth and I thought this is exactly the, you know, the spark, the innovation, the, you know, the, the swiftness of movement and clearly wanting to make a difference that this is the kind of person I, I need to attach myself to. And so I just, you know, introduced myself, uh, made the ask. And she said, I have all kinds of side projects that I have no time to do and really, and no budget to do. If you'd like to come and help me with those things, then please, you're welcome to, uh, to, to take on a portfolio <laughs> and go for it. <laughs> and that's really what I'd offered up. I want to come in and learn. And so two, two things came out of that time with, uh, working with Beth. One was, she had um, an idea to create a meeting planner's guide on disc. So this is again by like three and a half yeah. inch discs, Mark. <laughs> this is before the internet. <laughs> so I thought this was a fantastic idea uh, because hotels and destinations and providers to that industry are always looking for ways and making it simpler for meeting planners to choose their location and to execute and delivering these uh, conferences and those kinds of corporate meetings. And so I took this idea, I helped in doing actually a product, I didn't know at the time, but I was a product manager, I helped to get the product to a certain point, And I went across the country selling it and actually sold it to um, the province of British Columbia and other provinces. Uh, I ended up being the New Brunswick representative on the Atlantic Canada Technology Partnership. Um, and so although I didn't consider myself a technologist, um, that was uh, clearly, you know, uh, it was an interesting time. And I did learn a lot through that experience. And actually, you know, the World Wide Web uh, became a thing during that time. And so I did begin the efforts of converting our application to uh, to make it available online, but it was very early days and the cost to do these things was much greater than it is now. And so I, we, we decided collectively to close down that product. Um, also during that time with uh, working with Beth, she had the opportunity to do a contract with the province of New Brunswick to assess the viability of incentive travel. And so the province was deciding with their marketing budget, um, there's, you know, there's leisure travel, there's corporate travel, there's um, um, group travel, and there's also incentive travel. And so it's a unique market with its own uh, conferences, events, and ways in which to sell into it. And they were trying to decide, do we put some budget to this? And so, so what is incentive travel? So what that is, is um, let's imagine, so where you work, Mark, if, uh, you have salespeople there and um, they're challenged with um, achieving a certain quota. And um, if they achieve that quota, they get to travel to a destination as a reward for that achievement. And so a lot of people, you know, will think about um, going to, um, you know, any of the islands or, uh, you know, things of that nature that are sort of warm and, and fun or golfing is another big sort of perk reward trip that people tend to gravitate towards. Um, so uh, it's it's those kinds of incentives for achieving something in the workplace. 
And so I, in order to do this project, decided to invest a lot of time uh, really understanding what motivates people to win these things. Because in understanding that, you would then understand if New Brunswick had any appeal to that type of person. And so after doing quite a lot of research, um, what I discovered is the same people usually win these trips. So it had very little to do with the destination. It really had a lot to do with the individual. And the characteristics of individuals that win these incentive trips are that they are, um, that they're competitive. They want to always be learning and improving and have an appetite for adventure. And so with those things in mind, um, I did do basically, I did a consulting project and interviewed um, many of the destinations and facilities that could potentially house an event, uh, uh, an incentive travel program. And we don't have a lot of them in New Brunswick. And so what was missing is the ability to actually include what I thought in New Brunswick would be an exceptional product is adventure-based learning. And that's where Peak Adventures originated from, is I thought it was such a great idea and there was no um, company delivering the service. And this is, you know, how you really know you're an entrepreneur. You say, well, there's a gap in the marketplace and I'm going to fill it. And uh, and I, I basically worked my network looking for someone who had some experience uh, on the sort of coaching motivation side of things and was connected to Brent. And, and that's how we, we started Peak Adventures, which was a fairly successful company. We, you know, we served clients throughout Atlantic Canada. We um, had various locations in which we worked out of. Um, and uh, so, you know, those two things were very pivotal in my sort of trajectory into entrepreneurship. And I'm very grateful for, um, for Beth for giving me the opportunities. And, you know, certainly it was helpful for her business as well. Um, but uh, I think really to understand how, it, how to actually be an entrepreneur is in the doing. And where did your entrepreneurial path take you from there? So from there, um, because we're always learning and expanding, um, I began to appreciate that for our participants in the programs that we delivered, it was really about helping them um, improve personally as well as professionally, um, achieve you know setting stretch goals and achieving them, and so uh, we began began as a company to look well beyond the sort of one-time event type experiences with our clients and started working really inside our client organizations more structurally around what needs to happen inside an organization to create the right conditions over the long term, not just like a one-time hit, but over the long term to get the kind of behaviors that they were looking for. I did have um, uh, outside of Peak Adventures a strategic planning practice as well that I did outside of that. And so it was really, um, we started to work Brent and I with our clients uh, more holistically around creating opportunities to, um, create the right behaviors and organizations to achieve the results they wanted. And so we changed the name of the company to Finnamore Weir. Um, we started doing more in-depth, um, and integrated training. So we had a contract to deliver all the, 
um, level one and two leadership training at JD Irving, which was a fabulous um, opportunity as well. As you know, they have many diverse divisions and uh, from shipbuilding to retail uh, with Kent to, you know, their internal head office divisions as well as many others. And so um, Brent uh, moved to Montreal to do work with our other large client, which is Pratt and Whitney. And, uh, and so we brought in another partner in the business who worked in the wealth industry. We were working very independently. Uh, I stayed and managed the JDI contract and we had other small contracts as well. We've worked with other organizations across Atlantic Canada, um, delivering coaching and leadership training. Um, and so, you know, I learned a lot uh, from working with all of those organizations as well, um, different cultures and how to adapt principles into different environments. And it was really beneficial, uh, very rewarding. And um, so I ended up, you know, really consulting for 20 years. And um yeah, and it, you know, one of my my when we ended up dissolving Finnamore Weir because we were off doing our own things with our own clients, um, I started a company called Above the Line, and I was doing uh, as well as the leadership work and sales work. I was doing uh, process improvement work, um, and so I did that work and continued to do that work with with JD Irving and with Moosehead and. Um, I also did work with Scotia Wealth in Toronto. So that was a significant contract. And it was also the genesis for the business that I'm in now. Right. So w- what was your interest in, in process improvement? Is it all connected to y- your, your ideas around leadership development and people development? Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it really rubbed off on me because of my work with JD Irving, and they have a very strong culture of process improvement um, using Lean Six Sigma principles. So I ended up becoming a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. Um, I was really focused on helping with the leadership and behavior change and coaching around opportunities that they discovered going through projects using Lean Six Sigma. And so um, I'm a bit of a data nerd myself, and I love the idea of making decisions based on um, collecting historical data, doing the analysis, basically using the scientific method. And so um, there are many ways to influence people in terms of making change. Um, data and evidence uh, and being able to do analysis to create new ways forward is definitely one of them. It's not everything. I mean, fact, facts don't change people's minds. I'm sure you know that, Mark, as well as I do. Um, but they certainly are um, an ingredient. And so that was my interest in it. Plus, I'm just kind of an, uh, I love operational efficiency. I think it's core value of mine. It's in my, in the, in my own operate, the way I like to operate. So uh, I love the idea of continuously improving operations for efficiencies. I'm I'm curious if you you had you had to to go back and you're the you know the the poli sci student the policy student um, yeah. graduating from university uh, can you see ahead twenty years and say and 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 sort of make sense of that path yourself would it would it surprise the young Lori to to be where you are now I don't think so 
I mean, the, you know, the sky was really broad and clear for me at that age. I, you know, I always envy these people who know exactly what they want to do or, you know, the career path that they intend to be on and they follow it through all the way. <laughs> like that is, that's very impressive to me. I, you know, I had a, and I think that this is, you know, it connects back to entrepreneurship in general is that I think if you have a sense of your purpose and what you want to do, and for me it, at its core, I want it to make change, meaningful change that I could actually see a before and after. And that was affecting people in a positive way. And so the how was less important. And so I think that's kind of been my North Star. And, um, you know, knowing what I knew when I was 21, um, I felt like changing policy, policy was probably a way, the way to go. <laughs> and, you know, it's a way and it's important. Um, but I think I always look at every opportunity is, is how can you, how can you make the change? And that requires you to always be learning new skills and sharpening those skills and getting better at what you do. So with, with all that in mind, um, bring me to the, the, the genesis, the idea for four eyes and, and what opportunity you saw there. Yeah. So, um, again, this is the, I think if anyone, when you're an entrepreneur, I think the common thread is that you want to fill a gap in the marketplace. So you see a need and you just can't stop yourself from doing it, regardless of all the evidence that might suggest you shouldn't. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, and, uh, and I'd already done, you know, I'd already had a few goes at, you know, various things, you know, including the the climbing wall meeting room, you know, that we thought people would really flock to. And in fact, Mark, that was like, you know, we had some success with that, but, uh, it, you know, it, it, uh, you know, it didn't meet all of the expectations I had. So everything that you endeavor to go through is not going to turn out to be a home run. Um, um, but you can't stop yourself from going after the next thing anyway. And so, when I was consulting with Scotia Wealth, it's a fantastic company, and uh, I really valued the opportunity to, you know, to share my skills and talents with them, but also to learn from them. And so I got, I had a chance to work with their what they call their um, sort of mass affluent channel, which is, um, you know, sort of uh, folks who are di different levels of contribution in their investment accounts is how they segment their their clients and um, what they would consider to be high net worth clients and then um, family office which would be multi-generational wealth and so I really got a deep understanding of the whole value chain of the investment industry um, and how the business uh, makes decisions and how it serves its clients. And it was interesting because I was, you know, um, in my, probably I was in my forties at the time. So as an entrepreneur, I had my own investments. Um, it was the one area of my life, Mark, where I felt like I really didn't have as much control over it as I wanted to. I felt very dependent 
to on my advisor. I didn't feel like I could ask a very good question. I, I felt uninformed. And typically, um, not that I need to take control of the situation, but I definitely was searching for a level of interdependence. And I, what I discovered in my consulting work is that I wasn't alone in that feeling. And in fact, the way the industry kind of works is, uh, is you know, it's almost by design in some ways. And so um, I was motivated as a person planning for my retirement, um, taking the, you know, the investments in, in my business and looking for ways to make good choice and increase the level of transparency, as well as engage digitally the way I was engaging in other areas of my life, which just didn't seem to be available in the wealth industry. And so I would, uh, I was working in Toronto, so I was there probably half of my time. So I would come home and my partner is a technology entrepreneur and, you know, we'd talk about these things. And then at some point the two of us just said, you know, why don't we create technology that would help investors feel more confident that they're invested in products that meet the risk tolerance and financial goals. Right. Because as a, as a, as a person, um, you were seeing this in your consulting practice, but you're also seeing as a person, I'm, I'm not connected enough. I don't understand enough. And a a digital tool might help me understand better, might connect all the pieces better. Yeah, that's exactly it, Mark. And so I thought, you know, we think, well, if this is something I might like, maybe others would. And I saw that there was evidence to suggest that there was room for improvement. And uh, and so we got about building our initial product was uh, intended for general consumers like yourself who might want to just pull in all your investment accounts into one place and run an analysis on those accounts and see if you are actually invested in products that meet your risk tolerance. And so that was our original proposition. And so then you could either be a direct investor or you could have an advisor and you'd go to that advisor with a list of questions to say, you know, I've been looking at my account and, you know, here's some questions I have I'd like you to help me with. What we discovered is the general public was not that interested in um, that solution. And that was, you know, and thankfully we actually did a lot of research. Um, I used my Lean Six Sigma <laughs> skills to good, <laughs> to good use in my past research uh, uh, training. And so, um, yeah, through market research, it was clear that people were really comfortable just trusting their advisor. They felt that the investing was too complex and, and there really wasn't an appetite for the, the business case that, uh, that, we were pursuing. And so we ended up meeting with an investment firm in Toronto to validate compliance aspects of our platform. And it was in that moment, um, meeting with them, uh, when they said, what you've built here would be amazing for our advisors. And that would really help us, uh, from a compliance perspective, know that they're meeting the regulatory requirements. And so back to purpose, our purpose really hasn't changed from the beginning, but the market, who, who we were directing it to and selling it to has changed. Um, and so we started pivoting our product to meet the requirements of uh, investment firm head offices who have advisors on their platform. 
Right. So how, how would this make uh, life easier for them as a tool to use yeah. through their work? Is it uh, one of the things that, that with that industry, cause it's so it's complex and it's, it's long yeah. established and, yeah. and did it surprise you that, that you were spying this, this need in, inside the sector for something new like this? Um, not really, because remember I did have some exposure to what was happening at the head office level. And I did actually have a number of contacts. And so we had a good foundation to begin selling into that type of, uh, of client. Um, but then of course I did, it did open up a whole new stream of knowledge and things that I, I wanted to dive into and, and get knowledgeable on and, and, uh, and develop some subject matter expertise in, and that is around uh, regulatory requirements for the investment industry in Canada. So that's been some really interesting learning um, for our organization. Um, but no, I wasn't completely surprised. It actually kind of lined up for us. You know, one of the things that I believe is that maybe coming full circle, um, around policy change, actually, as I'm just really considering this as we're talking, Mark. So thanks for the <laughs> counseling session, is that um, the regulatory bodies in Canada for the investment industry have really elevated the requirements for the industry. And they have released a requirement called client-focused reforms that uh, became live as of January 1st this year. And the client-focused reforms really line up beautifully with our original intention around what they call suitability. And that is making sure that clients are invested in products that are most suitable for them and creating simple ways for industry to be able to um, select those products, assess the client, and be able to um, report on uh, how they went about doing all of these things, which, you know, they sort of termed no, um, show your work and create transparency around that. And that's ultimately what our platform does. We have a digital onboarding solution so that you, Mark, as an investor, are being onboarded with an advisor. You can do that, go through that experience digitally. Um, key information that ident that helps to really develop your uh, investor profile is collected in that digital um, collection of information. And that is used throughout the compliance process. Whereas in the past, um, onboarding is a separate um, endpoint solution. The data resides in its own sort of unique silo and is not used throughout the rest of the compliance process. Um, so we have that on digital onboarding at the front office between the investor and the advisor. We also have uh, solutions for the advisor to work with clients virtually, like on a video conference with you, for example, they could show you different products and how that would affect your portfolio, um, show you uh, compare three different products and, and, you know, pick the right product that best suits you. And that's all captured digitally so regulators uh, during their audit process can easily see through that uh, transparency that and showing your work how you actually came about making the decision to invest in product A versus product C. Right. And then at the back office, we have a compliance solution for a head office 
where they do trade surveillance and supervision. So all the trades that are made on behalf of every client go through a process and they're flagged to make sure that they are within the boundaries um, of the regulation. And so we have that uh, surveillance product as well. And so collecting data from the front office and uh, being able to do that at the mid and back office is a very unique solution in the market right now. So, so it sounds like even if you didn't, you, you initially you had in mind a product that would be geared towards investors, um, you know, like yeah. ourselves, because I'd be very much in that stage of my life too, right? In terms of my planning, it, but it sounds like, but it sounds like in the end, you've ended up creating a product that is still useful for those investors that are interested in being more connected and have a better understanding of things, even if, if your target, uh, your sales, who you're selling to are, are not the, it's not the consumer, but to, to the, to wealth management companies themselves. That's exactly right. And it, it gives me a lot of joy, Mark, actually, because, you know, I think, um, entrepreneurship is challenging. Um, you know, I think people think there are these overnight successes, which I know because you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and businesses, that is very, very rarely the case, if ever. I've still yet to see it myself. I'm sure it happens from time to time. Uh, but it requires a lot of patience for outcomes. And um, at the same time, you have to be planning and making decisions very quickly. Actions and decisions have to be relentless. You have to be relentless in making them daily. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, you have to be patient. You've got to make decisions with limited information. And so your core belief in what you're doing is really what allows you to ride the waves. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we decided to pivot to sell to, um, compliance teams that had offices and, um, you know, I kind of had, we kind of had this feeling like, are we abandoning our purpose? Um, but I really, you know, we sat and looked at the value chain and said, well, not really, because we are going to meet the requirements that we originally set out to do. And in fact, the, the regulation moving towards client-focused reforms only accelerated that for us, which was amazing. So to see policy actually do enable, you know, it does enable change coming together was really powerful and, and did, uh, you know, it makes me really happy to know that uh, we are able to accomplish both of those things. Probably a good time to ask you, because uh, I know it's connected to what we're talking about here, is uh, the name of the company and, and what it means and where it came from. Yeah, so our platform enables views from four different um, constituents. So um, the investor, like yourself, has a view through our client portal. The advisor has a view through their um, operational dashboard. And compliance has a view into the data from their back office um, compliance solution. And the fourth view is the, regula the regulator view, which we have yet to build and release, but that is the fourth view of the data so that the audits can actually be done virtually instead of going into office and collecting notebooks and paper and the things that they currently do. And so those are the four eyes, and it's really having four eyes into the data. Talk to me a little bit about the growth of the company, because I know that you're seeing a lot of success and growth in terms of, uh, you know, new clients and 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 also um, onboarding of new employees. Talk to me about how you've grown. 
Yeah. So uh, people often ask us, you know, did, how did, has the pandemic hurt or helped your business? And for us, really, it was it was the regulatory changes that really accelerated our business. Because, of course, people take note of needs need to have versus nice to have. And this was a need to have. And so we had spent a couple of years really in market meeting with all of our potential clients, um, getting to know the industry, participating in industry events. And um, so we had a number of, of pretty good prospects in our pipeline. And we had uh, one client signed and we had, sorry, we had two clients signed. And so when the pandemic hit, we, um, two things happened. One, we didn't have to do as much travel, but we had sort of cemented ourselves into the industry, which I, I don't know we could have done virtually. Honestly, I think it was really helpful for us to have had that FaceTime. Um, but people were prepared to do business as you and I are doing now, um, virtually that helped us accelerate some of our work. Um, the biz, the firms themselves needed to meet the regulatory requirements. So it was, they, they started moving into decision-making mode. And so we started seeing deals start closing. So we started bringing, of course, bringing in more people. And so now we have seven clients. These are corporate enterprise clients with anywhere from 30 to 750 advisors on their platforms. Uh, we are a team of 30 um, and we're hiring for five more roles. Um, one of the other things that was important to Kendall and I when we started the business is we, want, we really wanted to do it out of St. John, out of Atlantic Canada. It's not the first place. And we got a lot of questions about this, Mark. Like, why are you starting a technology company in financial services in Atlantic Canada? Like, why aren't you at the very least in Toronto, if not, you know, New York or London or somewhere? And we really, you know, believe in um, the quality of life in St. John and in New Brunswick and Atlantic Canada, we believe that there are a lot of smart people here that are looking for interesting work. And I really, you know, believe that there is an opportunity to trans be part of the transition of the economy. Um, and you can run a regulatory technology company from anywhere. I mean, Verifin has done a great job of proving that in Newfoundland and to great success. And so we knew it was possible and um, it gives us a lot of pleasure to to welcome people who are from this area to come and work with us in really innovative technologies. If you're a technologist, you're graduating from, you know, computer science engineering uh, from MBCC or any of the community colleges or whatever, wherever your learning is, there are definitely some amazing, talented people that aren't interested in maintaining old technology. They want to build on you know, on the new technologies and create a difference. And we are attracting those people. And it's wonderful to see that part of our vision come to life. And in addition to local people, we've, you know, we've welcomed people from Jamaica, Rwanda, India, um, to settle and live in our community, which is fantastic. Even Toronto, Matt, we talked about Massa, who is our marketing manager. She is, she is one of our, you know, moved, moved to St. John folks from from the GTA. Right. So when you're bringing in people from Toronto or, or from Jamaica or India, are, are you bringing them in for a, a skill set? How are you attracting and bringing them here? 
Yes, there. Uh, so some are stu- some were students at UNB um, who, uh, you know, had lots of global opportunities because international students do, especially the high performers who everyone wants. Um, so, you know, even though some of them were here going to university, we were competing. Um, and it's, as you know, it's very competitive environment for hiring in technology. Um, so yeah, specific skills, they were, you know, we hunted some of them down, some of them applied for work, but, uh, yeah, lots of different ways in which we, we are attracting people to come here. And of the 30, and it will grow to 35, uh, how are they all based here in St. John? Are some remote, some in other communities? Yeah, you know, we we do um, we do like to have people close by. So we have an office in Moncton as well. Um, so we have physical office in St. John and Moncton. Uh, our head of growth is based in Toronto. Uh, we have a couple folks uh, in Fredericton, but the majority of our folks are in St. John and Moncton. Um, we're not opposed to people working virtually, depending on the role. But because we are in a in a very um, intense innovation s- spot in the growth of our company, it's very helpful to have people at least uh, for the first sixty days um, working more closely with others in the same space. We have found that to be helpful. And a lot of our, like most of our seniors have been working from home since the beginning of the pandemic. It's not really an issue. Um, But for, you know, for people who are learning the new tech stack, the technology, the industry, and all of the other things, it's really helpful for them to be close by. And and do you feel like you're um, uh, part of a a family of growing fintech companies too in in the region? Because would you classify yourself as fintech? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. we we would. I mean, fintech is a very broad, um, covers a lot of uh, different verticals inside, you know, from payments and um, loans and um, think generally a big part of fintech is banking applications. And so wealth is, is a sliver of that for sure. It's very specific. Um, but we absolutely participate in, um, the Atlantic fintech community and there's a lot of benefit in that for sure. In terms of your your client base and kind of looking at exporting these services, how many, what percentage of your clients would be Atlantic Canadian and what percentage would be, you know, from the rest of the country and are there growth opportunities too in the U.S. as well? Yeah. So we don't have any clients in Atlantic Canada and we don't expect to ever have them because our, because we really are for the firms that we're looking at. I mean, there's a potential for maybe two in Atlantic Canada, um, maybe one, uh, but we have, uh, we have clients in Montreal, Burlington, Toronto, um, Winnipeg. And so Canada is, is a market and, you know, we're very attuned to who those potentials are and their geographic location is, uh, is, is fairly irrelevant for us, um, in terms of growth in Canada, but there's lots of room to, for us to still grow in Canada for sure. We are working this year on, um, we have budget and people dedicated to our U S expansion. And of course the market there is much bigger. Um, and there are all cultural differences in geographic areas in the U S. Um, 
our technology is built in such a way that we can accommodate for differences in the regulatory environment. Um, principally, though, the UK and the US um, and Canada are very similar. And so in terms of uh, the kinds of uh, firms that, that would want to use your 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 platform, are they just need to be larger firms? So Atlantic Canada isn't, isn't a natural spot for you to look for business? Yeah, so we are currently working with non-bank owned independent investment firms. Um, that's not to say we wouldn't work with larger financial institutions like the insurance, you know, the Sun Life's, Manulife's, um, the banks. Uh, we have, you know, we have conversations ongoing with those potential clients as well. Um, you need to really have a certain size in your organization to serve those clients well. And I see that in our near future for sure. Uh, and so none of those head offices exist in Atlantic Canada is, is kind of the bottom line. How about investment capital? Uh, do you do you need to raise money to to grow the company and to develop the product further? Yeah, we have done we have um, we have managed to do quite a lot of organic growth by signing business, which I'm pleased about. Um, but we did take uh, some money early on, um, and we are exploring uh, another raise right now. Right. So, how much would you have raised so far? You've 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 done one round of uh, raising money. Yeah, for we raised less than a million dollars in total. Um, and in order to you know to to really execute on that U.S. Uh, market entry, we you know we need to have. As I learned with my three and a half inch floppy disk meeting planners guide, you do need to have some money in the coffers to uh, <laughs> to take it to the next level. Whether you're adding to your product or you know moving into a new market, you you want to have some resources behind you. Right. So, what does what does growth look like for your company going forward? Well, you know, we are ambitious. Uh, we uh, we we're looking to double our growth in terms of clients in in uh, in Canada and um, and our employee count as well. Uh, the U.S. this year is really going to be more of um, product market fit exploration, getting our product ready for you know an, an intense sales effort. Um, so those are the things that we're looking at, and, and you know, we we do. You know, we have forecasted to close one U.S. client this year. So we've got, uh, you know, we've got activities underway to to get us there. Does the pandemic now, I know you built a lot of relationships pre-pandemic and now you're trying to grow during a pandemic, then we're not quite sure when all of this is going gonna, is gonna to end. Does that present challenges and opportunities kind of going forward for you, not knowing how things look over the next, you know, six months to a year? Not um, not significantly, Mark. I think the biggest uh, uncertainty for us is, you know, as we look to develop networks and relationships in the U.S., a lot of the mainstay events that we would go to, um, like may or I was going to say likely won't happen, but we just don't know, right? They continue to get canceled. Um, and it's very difficult to, it's much easier to maintain a relationship in attending a virtual conference than it is to create new ones. Right. So you, you're, you're fine right now with trying to grow during this period. Yeah. Um, outside of that, yeah, we have connections and other people that have relationships in the U S that we can lean on to, uh, you know, to help us, uh, with that part of the journey, but 
you know, what's great is for us living in St. John, um, there was a time when we would have to, you know, we'd go to Toronto, we'd present, uh, do a demo, present a, you know, a proposal to a number of people inside a firm at the executive level. And we'd fly back to St. John and they'd call us and say, oh, we want to invite a couple of other people and a few advisors to come in and, you know, can you be here on Tuesday? And so we'd fly back <laughs> for um, one meeting, you know, and uh, in early days, you don't have a lot of cash for a lot of those kinds of repeat. And that happened quite frequently. It was just not on the table to do a meeting in the way that we're doing it now. And so for us, it actually is um, almost more of a benefit. How about you, you personally, because you, you are a, a traveler and uh, you have done your own exploring of the world. Yeah. Do you feel a little bit locked down right now? How are you feeling? <laughs> you know what? I think uh, having a growing um, reg tech company is really keeping me occupied. Although, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like uh, Kendall and I are working out of the office. We also live together, but it's nice to leave the house and go someplace. <laughs> so like our trip is, uh, our trip is 15 minutes away, but you know, from Milledgeville to Uptown St. John, but I guess that's my, my travel, uh, my travel plans for the short term, but yeah, Mark, all kidding aside, I, I definitely look forward to uh, to getting out. We have actually, we did do one trip to Toronto in the fall, um, and went to visit some clients. Uh, and you know, it took some getting used to, I have to admit, like after that being sort of a way of life for so long, it was, it was, uh, there was an adjustment, but yes, I look forward to it. Um, I miss seeing people and places. There's no question. Yeah. Where, where would you love to go first when you, if you could, uh, if you could jump on a plane and go somewhere now? Well, most of our travel was, was really related to our work. Um, so, I mean, uh, Toronto's like my second home. I do miss it, actually. So I, I'd like to go to Toronto. But on, you know, we, uh, I was supposed to go to Costa Rica in, in um, the 1st of April 2020. <laughs> so <laughs> I could, I would like to resume that trip perhaps. Was, was, was that a family trip or is that for work or volunteer? Yeah, it was a, it was a, a, a fun trip. I actually have planned with my best friend from high school who lives in, uh, in Ontario, in Southern Ontario. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was going to be a meaningful, fun trip for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll get there. And it was right around the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it was It was right in the heart. And actually, you know, we went to Vancouver to see the Rugby Sevens um, the end of February for also one of my uh, really close friends, former uh, Finnamore Weir colleagues. It was his 50th birthday. Uh, we went to Vancouver and um, we got home on like March 6th or something. So like right at the beginning so I felt kind of glad that I had that trip in. I, I reflected on it often the last two years. <laughs> and we just feel like we dodged something because we actually got back to uh, New Brunswick uh, from taking the kids on a on a on a trip to uh, to Disney wow. and to Florida uh, the week before everything locked down. So I, I still have memories of like so how did we not get this in these crazy lines at disney um but, right yeah. but we, we yeah it is it is fascinating and i think what like to i don't know like to your point i think um just 
when you can go, go, you know, because as you did, because now it probably like, no, right. It wouldn't happen. And just visiting family and doing these things, I think for me personally, it, you know, not sitting around sort of thinking, oh, can I do this and dwelling on especially personal trips and important events and things like that, because you just don't know when you're not going to be able to. Right. No, absolutely. Well, thanks I'm a so lot, Lori. you got that memory with your family. That's <laughs> exactly. awesome. Well, it was really great chatting with you. Um, and before I let you go, is there anything that um, that we didn't talk about with regards to, to Four Eyes um, or your other work that you think we should touch on? Um, I think we covered quite a lot. Mark. We did. <laughs> <laughs> we needed this good catch-up chat. We, needed we really this. did need this. And, uh, <laughs> hopefully, I'll, I'll get a chance to visit with you. Uh, I think the last time was a very long time ago, maybe 15 years. So I'm like, I think we can do better, Mark. I think we can, especially given that we're right now, we have a good reason not to be in person, but we're just down the street from each other. <laughs> yeah, that's great. No, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. I really love listening to um, all of the various guests that you have. Everyone's stories are so interesting. You do a beautiful job of, uh, of leading the conversation and facilitating it um, for all, you know, for all the businesses in the region, um, the service you provide is uh, really, really important. And I, I'm sure I'm not alone in having said that to you, but um, I'm really grateful for what Huddle does. And I'm really grateful for the work that you do. There isn't a place for entrepreneurs and businesses um, outside of this forum where I think we feel our voices really well um, actually listened to and heard. Yeah, and thank you. And I, I actually really appreciate and enjoy the conversations. And, and, you know, and I, I learned a lot as somebody who's kind of ridden the waves of, of uh, being an entrepreneur in different media businesses over 20 years. I can certainly relate to your experience. And, you know, and so I, I actually learn a lot and gain a lot from especially conversations with entrepreneurs like you in the region. So I appreciate chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Mark. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take Bye -bye. care. Bye. That was my conversation with Lori Weir. Thanks so much, Lori, for the great chat. Home Office is part of the Huddle Podcast Network. To follow the show and download each new episode, search for Huddle Home Office on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you enjoy the show, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week.